no, see, we can we can debate the historicity of the band Genesis, but their divinity is pretty much. Shut up, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yes, Nick. I was just trying to think of like a really clever like diff that had a deeply biblical reference in it, but nothing rhymes with Chad Rack and Shack and Abednego, so. Welcome to the Fact Cougars podcast. We are off to another roaring start. <laughs> Bazinga. Over on on my on my left in the stereo spectral field, we have Mr. Miles Moline, and over to my right in the stereo spectral field, we have Mr. Nicholas. <laughs> we have a special guest today. It's true. His name is Nick Dache, and he is uh, he didn't know he would be guest starring on this podcast and alongside <laughs> me, Michael Richardson, and Miles Moline, are your regular co-hosts. Nick Dache is going to be delivering his own on-the-spot quiz for us. He didn't even know we were going to be in his basement until, I don't know, three hours ago? Yeah, your mom got tired of all the sexual tension and facts <laughs> uh, and trivia from last time, so she said, go hold your sexual tension seance in someone else's basement. <laughs> yeah, my parents have been like begging for you guys to come back. They're like, there is not enough going on. Now there's 150% more men in this basement. Absolutely. So Whatever that means. Welcome to the Fact Cougars <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so I got some questions um, because I was asked to improvise a quiz. And to be honest, uh, as good improvisation goes, I, I haven't prepared for this at all. So my first question for the two of you. Um, is Pluto a planet? That's actually a really, like, I know you, I know this is, like, kind of a joke question, but that is actually a fascinating it's question. It's a fascinating question, and right. I want to know your answers. I think I'm going to buzz in first and beat out my, my good friend, Mr. Miles, and I'm going to say that, interesting answer number one, cougar fact, it is a dwarf planet among mm. many others in the solar system, including its, its twin, its moon, um... Eris, I think, is that one. It's they're they're like a you know how a binary star yeah. system is two stars and they they they, they both they like uh, dance a little bit. They dance around the same gravitational center, but they're two distinct stars, but they make a binary system. So Pluto is a binary dwarf planet with its moon of relatively the same size, uh, which is Eris, which is one of the other dwarf planets in our solar system. I will say as a counterpoint that the categorization of planets, while it's like like planets and dwarf planets and asteroids, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is ultimately like I mean it's important, right? And also, I'm not an astrophysicist, so my opinion <laughs> my opinions don't matter. <laughs> but it's like kind of a temperature paradox in terms of the the upper size limits, right? Do you know what do you know what the Nick? Do you know what the temperature paradox is? I have no idea. Please explain it to me. I do, but I you can explain it anyway. I'm going to explain it really poorly, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm going to say it's is. for comedic effect. Um, so the temperature paradox is think of like a pick a temperature, Nick. Sixty-eight. So sixty-eight, great temperature. Now, thanks. 
67 degrees isn't much colder than 68 degrees, right? Not at all. And 66 degrees isn't that much colder than 67 degrees, no. right? And 65 degrees isn't that much colder than 66 degrees, right? I see right? where you're going with but this. But wait, 65 degrees is like three, three times colder than nice than the difference between nice. 38 and 37. I quit. <laughs> so, so Miles. So anyway. So what is your answer to the question, though? My answer is, is that I think Pluto should be a planet. That's just on my own terms. That has nothing to do with the temperature paradox. The temperature paradox I bring up is because, like, the delineations between planet and dwarf planet are, like, essentially arbitrary, right? Yeah. They picked a point, and they're like, anything past this point isn't a planet anymore. Well, that's not totally true. I think one of the one of the requirements for planethood is uh, a a domination over a gravitational over its orbit. It it has to be the predominant force in the orbit. It has to it has a gravitational monopoly on that. You know, you actually. I just googled it. Because I like being right. It yeah. turns out I'm wrong. You're right. It has, right. has to clear its orbit to yeah. be considered a planet. Mm -hmm. Oh, word. Mm -hmm. I'm so But cool. honestly, mm -hmm. I'm going to still say that it is a planet because I, I want it to be. <laughs> and that's my final answer. So so it seems the two answers we've gotten for this question about... Um, well, we'll get back to what the question is about. But the two answers we received is the scientific no because of facts and logic or the emotional... Yes, because that's what I was taught as a child, and I want to hold on to that innocence. So who is right, facts or emotions? Well, actually, both of them are wrong because neither of them said both answers. So no points here. We can go on to the next question. We're getting outclassed at our own cast. We are. <laughs> at least I didn't get linked to Ben Shapiro this episode. <laughs> All right, the next what's question, question two? The next question is, why is the Rickroll such a successful, long-standing meme? And what does that say about our culture? Nick, you can't just improvise questions like these. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's not fair. What kind of questions do you want me to improvise? No, no. It's I, think, I think this is the right kind of question. No, it's Because I think we both saw the same video essay in the past two weeks. So I think that the answer is, uh, one, it was, it was organic. B, uh, Rick Astley has been super chill about it and didn't try to capitalize on it, like, monetarily. And, and third most, I think that... The Rick Roll has uh, is a palindrome for Laurie Kelly. <laughs> yeah. So what's our third question? <laughs> Wait, I think I want to answer. Miles, what's your answer? Rick Astley is dummy thick. Oh. I think Rick Astley's hot. And the clap Final of his answer. ass cheeks keeps <laughs> alerting. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give this one to Michael because I feel like Rick is, like, cute, but he's not hot enough. 
if he was hot, hot, it wouldn't be that funny. But he's he's like okay, he's nice. Modern Rick, nice. I feel but like like I feel Rick like Astley in that video. Like Michael said it, he got all the points. You were just saying like he hot. It's, <laughs> he's, it's not he's that. Like it's so much more now uh, in the now. In the modern era, Rick Astley, fine Gruyere. Absolutely. Right? If we're comparing men to cheese, which I think we should always be comparing men to cheese. It's the be a only way to do it. Because I sweat easily. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is how to do it. We've been here for like 15 minutes and I'm already <laughs> coated in a nice sheen. <laughs> I want to be a Compte because there's like a thin line of blue shit. What? In my center. <laughs> but anyway, I was going to say old Rick Astley is like a Brie because he's soft. Excuse me. Wow. He's soft and perfect, right? Yeah. Like Brie. Maybe mm. a Camembert because he's wealthy. <laughs> I think if Rick Astley were a cheese, I think he would be Burgundy because he is named after both a region of France and a um a- and a French royal dynasty. I didn't know that there was a Rick region of France. No, Burgundy is the region of France. Yeah. <laughs> Have you never heard of Burgundy? <laughs> or the Burgundian dynasty? Rick, <laughs> Rick Burgundy Astley? I don't I don't know his middle name. Can we fact check that? <laughs> Miles, will you look up I what w- Rick Astley's middle name is? Nick, what's your guess? What What is my guess on his middle name? Yeah, before Absolutely, it's Gregory. Is that your final answer? Pretty good guess. Dude, uh, if it's not Gregory, then I'm going to, like, jump out a window. I think I'm going for G also, but I'm going to go with Gort. <laughs> it's, in fact, Paul. Ugh. Ma- man. Nick, go. <sighs> no, don't leave. Nick, what okay. cheese are you? What cheese am I? Pepper Jack. Next, what? Pepper Jack. Pepper, Pepper Jack. Because, like... You're full of small little gnarled Because I'm, like, I'm a tiny bit spicy. Spice. And a lot of people like me, but a lot of people are like, that. that's not that's not it, Chief. But, like, but it's got it's got its niche, and it's, like, doing well there, you it's know? It's niche? Excuse me? It's niche. You know, it's I, niche. Think, <laughs> I think that meth is like a crow. Because mm. people don't usually eat people crows. People don't normally eat crows. That's correct. <laughs> All right, Nick. Next give us question. Hit, hit us with it. Hit us with another question. Hit us with a cougar fact. With a cougar fact? Oh, you want me to say a fact? Black lives matter. That's a fact. That's a damn fact. That is a damn fine fact. Damn fine fact. Okay, so my next uh quest question for you is trivia. What country? exports the most beans uh i need a clarification what kind of beans because i actually (laughs) might know uh you can do any bean but you have to say specifically what bean and specifically what country Mm. if if you would ask me this in my freshman year i actually (laughs) would i i would know this i was I was taking that quiz on Sporkle, like <laughs> one of the top producers of all sorts of agriculture worldwide. Um, I feel like I've learned something about you today, Michael. You didn't. You didn't already know that. 
No, I'm going to say <laughs> for beans, yeah. top producer, United mm. States of America. That's uh, I'm going to go with soy, and I'm going to say China. Can we get a fact I, I, I was I was also gonna say soy. Oh, but okay. You I'm know what? I'm gonna say soybeans, United States of America. All right, all right. I'm go. I'm locking in soybeans, China. Nick, you don't know the answer. No, because <laughs> you're making this up. You want to you want to log a guess? I'm quizzing you guys today, but <laughs> but yeah, I guess I'll go with um. Ooh, definitely like. Definitely like, sweet beans, uh. And like What's Caribbean, what, what kind of sweet bean? You know, like, like baked beans. You know, is that I, what you're talking yeah, about? yeah. So like sweet baked, baked beans. <laughs> sweet uh, beans are made of these. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Caribbean. Nuts! Oh, I should have guessed Brazil. I no! knew it was Brazil. <laughs> oh, I'm I such a fool. The Caribbean is closer to Brazil than the United <laughs> States or China, so I think I'm the No, closest. the United States is definitely closer to Brazil. Than what? Than the Caribbean? Yeah. That's not true. Southwest. Cougar facts. So- southwest, right? Southwest of... What is southwest of... Where what? is South America? <laughs> south, but southeast. No, it's definitely southwest. Mm, that is not true. I, I Shut up. It's not true. Did you know, I, you no, know what? This is a real Cougar fact. Cougar fact alert. First legitimate certified <laughs> Cougar fact of the episode. The um, If you were to draw a line directly south from Chicago, Illinois, uh, do you know what, what South American country you would uh, penetrate? With that with said line, all first. of them like a sword in a in a fifteenth century duel. Like a sword in a fifteenth century duel. And if you felt really emasculated by that, ooh, <laughs> what's do you, do you have an answer? Do you have a guess for me? Do you have an answer to my question? I'm gonna say I don't know where that state is. Which state was it Chicago? again? Chicago. Chicago. The city of Chicago. That's not a state. It's embarrassing. It's in Illinois. It's in Illinois. Illinois. Ill- Illinois. Did you not? Th- did you not know that that Chicago New Hampshire, Illinois? New Hampshire. Um, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna guess. Peru. Nikki. Mister Nick. Which one did Miles say? Peru. Yeah. Argentina. Wrong. You guys are a bunch of idiots. You Is got it Brazil? You. I tricked you. I got you. Is it's it none, none of them. them. It's uh. none of them. Yeah, isn't that cool, actually? Like, uh, aside from me playing a, playing a little trick on you, got, got you tricked. I got you so tricked. You guys got so tricked. What if, what, if, what, if we don't <laughs> what if we don't actually exist in mm. three-dimensional space? Like, we don't, we don't exist in a plane of Euclidean geometry, and we exist, in fact, in one of those non-Euclidean geometry things. So here's a question, a counter-question. What if we yeah. do live in a Euclidean world, but instead of a globe, our Earth is cougar shaped? <laughs> oh. Nick, do you want to do you want to launch us into another question? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Last question for Nick. Last question. That's really important. Um. Wait. So we can edit. So like, I can take my time. Yeah. Thinking. You really can. Okay. I was gonna guess Brazil. I'm such a fool. Brazil is number one. It's Brazil, United States, Argentina, China. Brazil is number one. Brazil is number one. My mom has a, a Brazilian friend who introduced us to this really good snack called uh, Brigadeiro. It's kind of a dessert. 
but they're very, very good. I want to know the answer to this before I ask it, but I think Ashley might know. Nice. <coughs> Did you know that there is an index for how ha- uh, how bad natural disasters are that are based on how many Waffle Houses are open in the area? The Waffle House index. Yeah. I have heard of such a thing, but I've never had like a good explanation of it before. So, um, Waffle Houses just like don't close. Okay. Is the thing, right? They often like stay open specifically to provide community service, especially in the face of like natural disaster. So they have like three levels. They have like fully open, um, like not full capacity. So that's like green and orange, and they have fully closed, which is red, right? And they're all over like states in which natural disasters frequently occur because it's like a real southern shindig yeah. right tornado alley and that's like not even tornado alley just like where hurricanes strike oh okay there's waffle houses so guys i i have a question i have an answer and it's about waffle house that's hot whichever one of you gets closer wins the world how many waffle houses are in the united states of america oh shit 12, i i fucking know this Twelve thousand. that's my guess final answer is it prices right rules is it prices right you can go over. Okay. Whoever's closer. All right, I'm guessing I'm locking it at 12K. I'm going to say 1,200. Oh, oh, that's mean because you know, <laughs> like, I've read this before and then maybe I'm remembering <laughs> no, it I, I, I'm wrong. No, de- I've also read it before and I'm definitely remembering it wrong. What is it, Nick? 2,000. <laughs> Miles, Miles gets it. <laughs> Miles? Is the historical god. <laughs> I get I get the world. Alright, Miles won the first game, which was our coin flip of Nick asking questions, and uh, that means he delivers his Fact Cougar quiz first. Alright, so Miles Moline's Fact Cougar quiz this fine episode is on the history of dueling. Primarily in Europe, but we can talk. There's a little question, a little fun little bit on uh, United States dueling. So this is dueling and also judicial combat, which is kind of dueling. But we'll get into that later, right? So, Michael, do you want me to, do you want me to explain? Um, man, I feel like a pretentious dickbag asking if I should <laughs> explain what a duel is. Miles, please explain to me <laughs> what a duel is. A duel? Okay, so... A duel is a contest, usually or primarily with the deadly weapons, arranged between two people in order to settle a point of honor, usually accompanied by an extensive code of rules and ethics. So, Michael, my first question for you, my first question for you, Michael, when was the first attempt to ban dueling in Europe? The 15th century, the 13th century, the 16th century, or the 20th century? Ooh, 13th, locking it in. Uh, So dueling as a practice emerged out of the medieval judicial duel, which was a trial by combat. Essentially, two people would take up arms and fight, and the thought at the time was that God would ensure whoever wasn't lying would win. (laughs) 
right? So this is similar to like trial by ordeal for witches. So this was this like the time of historical god, or was this yeah. like? Because we can agree historical god is real, <laughs> but but we can argue <laughs> the divinity of god. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> Originally a practice of Germanic tribes, uh, judicial duels were adopted by the Holy Roman Empire and from there spread to other regions in Europe. In the year 1215... 13th century! Yeah! Pope Innocent III in the Fourth Council of the Lateran banned clerics from acting as judges and from officiating judicial tests which removed the divine justification for uh, trial by combat and trials by ordeal, and thus was the first attempt to curb the practice of what would become dueling. That's a cougar fact. That is a... That is so cool. That is a cougar fact. Also, one of the most important convenings of, like, the Catholic uh, higher clergy, like, just in history, because they also... This was, like one of the first codifications of uh, anti-Islamic action and anti-Semitic action mm. by the church. Uh, this is the council that banned Jews from holding public office as well as levying uh, attacks against them to be paid directly to the church. Uh, it also forced Jews and Muslims to wear special identifying dress, ostensibly to prevent any Christians from accidentally marrying them. I understand what that means, but they couldn't have phrased it any other way from accidental marriage. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and that's not even, I'm not even paraphrasing it that much. Yeah. That's the, that, that was the justification. Um, Rats. They also call, they, I, you know, I forgot, I totally forgot to look this up too. But they also, Pope Innocent III, started off by calling for another crusade. And I don't know if this one actually started any of the crusades. Um, but anyway. Kind of sucked. Uh, and then the next year, Pretty bad. Uh, Pope Innocent III had been dead by, tw by 1216. And the next pope officially was like, stop judicial duels to the Holy Roman Empire. Mm. Uh, they did, like, kind of say no. Uh... And, like, they, they published uh, their code of law in 1230, which was, like, judicial duels, still fine, but then it was uh, made illegal in the Holy Roman Empire in the year 1300. But uh, by that time, it had already spread through, like, France, and then the Norman Conquest had spread it to England, and it didn't stop in England for, like, another good little while. Riggedy dog. Now, Michael... Next question. Here's another fun one. Is this for Nick to answer also? Yeah. You know what? Nick can definitely answer. In what country is tri is trial by combat specifically not banned? Like in modern day? In modern day. To this date. Is it Britain, France, <gasps> Austria, or the United States of America? I was going to guess Iceland when I thought it was open-ended, and now I don't know where to go. Nick, you answer first. Ooh. Um, I'm not going to say United States because I know for a fact I would s I'd see that. <laughs> 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 I 
Um, Austria is the country I know about the least culturally, so it feels like my safest bet because I feel like I should kn- like that's such a beautiful part of the law. I wish I knew about that <laughs> if it, if it is America. <coughs> in Britain, I know that dueling in Parliament is explicitly illegal. That's why you can't wear based. That's <laughs> that's why you can't get get within a s- like a two swords length uh distance of your opponent's side of the room and how so is that, that like rigorously upheld i i actually don't know how strict that is but there are lines on the floor of the house of commons that are supposedly measured to be two swords lengths apart so that if people came in with the swords they were like hey don't cross those lines this is <laughs> like this you is do, you, you're gonna cut each other and <laughs> that's not allowed this you is also can't wear a suit of armor in <laughs> <laughs> definitely a side note but i but i loved just how ambiguous like elizabethan units of measurement became (laughs) 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 they didn't say don't get within like the the height of a of like a grown man of each other that's like an that's like measurable they said two swords lengths are the (laughs) forbidden distance I can just I can just imagine like a really disgruntled gentleman walking into Parliament with like a with a needle fashioned in the shape of a sword. And he's like, "This is I can get right up in your goddamn face with this." Um, this is also a side note, but there was a Tom Scott video about when uh, the length of a meter got melted in Parliament. Oh, and that was the most recent one. Yeah. Everybody, check Tell out Tom more. Scott. We like Tom Scott. Tom Scott is literally. The only YouTuber. Uh, Miles, I think I'm going to guess... I'm going to guess the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom. Yeah. There is no law or constitutional article that specifically bans a trial by combat in the United States of America. Oh, you are kidding me. I am (laughs) not kidding you. Yeah! However, dueling in America, this is, it was like a little bit of a trick question, um, and I only bring this—I only bring up this question because of a really funny anecdote that I found. But dueling is illegal in the United States of America, and has been for like a while. People still did it when it was illegal, but dueling is illegal, right? Uh, in 1983, um, the government began suing uh, the Freedom Church of Revelation for tax evasion because they Ooh. called themselves a church and then owned a lot of property that they were renting out and had a lot of capital that they were claiming as untaxable when it was just like being used by people because it was their stuff right and so uh, the free, the free, they were they, they were like explicitly terrible of like uh, there was a Harley Davidson claimed that that one of the <laughs> pastors was like god wants me to have this i mean it's like a uh, that still happens. Too. I mean, I mean, it's it does. Like there's, there's a really scummy televangelist own my private jet. Oh, oh no. so the demons don't get me. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an infamous video. But anyway, like that was one of the things they got him on was like, you can't just own a Harley Davidson and then buy it with church money because <laughs> you say God wants you to have it. Uh, but anyway, the Freedom Church of Revela- Revelation was getting sued in Delaware. Uh, they gave. Quote, a rambling tirade which asserted various preposterous allegations and claims, and for the life of me, I could not find exactly <laughs> what it was. And I was I was so mad. 
Um, <clears throat> but they offered to waive their counterclaim uh, if the plaintiff agreed to a trial by combat. <laughs> Uh, and the judge and the judge was like the judge responded in his in his um the judge responded a challenge of trial by combat to the death is not a form of relief to this court or any court in this country uh would or could authorize dueling is a crime and the defendant is therefore cautioned against such further requests for unlawful relief if it please the court I'd like to kill the <laughs> defendant. <laughs> Fellas. <laughs> um, <clears throat> while looking into more uh, trial by combat uh, things, I found this absolutely hysterical justification from a from pro <laughs> from economics professor Peter T. Leeson of George Mason University. <gasps> University. Mason, I've been in his little home. <laughs> but anyway, Peter argues that uh, trial by combat in the situation of dueling for land, basically dueling, uh, dueling over land disputes, was a, <laughs> quote, perfectly rational and economically efficient way of managing those types of land disputes <laughs> uh, because there were champions for hire and that some were better and more expensive than others, and how much money you were willing to pay for your champion probably roughly coincided with how much the extra property was worth it to you. There were real people living in our real country whose professional job title was champion. <laughs> <laughs> um, dueling for the land was not said. really a U.S. <laughs> was not really a United States thing. That's more of like a like a 10th century uh, United Kingdom ir like thing. They said, we're not going to call ourselves the next Roman Empire. You can keep that HRE. You can keep that Byzantines. But we are going to commit harder than you because we're going to have gladiators. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I was just like, I saw this and I was like, this is this, the audacity <laughs> That Peter T. Leeson has <laughs> this this like boot sucking of the uber wealthy to be like you know what hiring two guys to kill each other over our land rights is a uh, perfectly rational and economically efficiently efficient way of dividing it up. Would they really do it to the death? Yeah. Yo. I mean, it wasn't always to the death. Very often it was to the ouch, right? Um, oof. <laughs> to the oof. But, like, people did die in duels over land disputes. Hmm, does this one sound familiar to you guys? When you put it like that, does that sound like anything you ever heard of? The two, two rich people on opposite sides of a land dispute paying lots of money to get poor people to kill each other to decide who wins? Okay, but you're... <laughs> You're exactly right, Nick. <laughs> I, it is describing the classic Genesis deep track, the Battle of Epping Forest. <laughs> wow, that's exactly not what I was going to say. <laughs> it, it wasn't? Oh, no. What? <laughs> I'm, but I'm so glad you bring it up because now I want to know more about it. 
the Battle of Epping Forest is. Wow, that's really interesting. So we can move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, tell me more. Oh, this isn't a real battle. It's a song <sighs> by the band yeah, Genesis. Just, yes. Sorry, I thought you were referencing something biblical. And I was like, I don't think that's in Genesis. No, see, we can, we can debate the historicity of the band Genesis, but their divinity is pretty much... Shut up, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, Nick? I was just trying to think of, like, a really clever, like, diss that had a deeply niche biblical reference in it, but nothing rhymes with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so... <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> well, your mom's a Judas... <laughs> And your dad is also. <laughs> like, will you say that thing you were trying to rhyme again? <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There were three, three blokes. They, do, you, do you know the story? I don't, are they, <laughs> can I tell you a little Bible story? So here's the I've Bible never story, heard right? that collection of syllables before so in my Sh- life. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were three, oh my God. three guys. <laughs> Just three. Am I pronouncing it wrong? I didn't know they were three names. I thought you just said some word backwards. Nah, so these three guys, they they were worshiping the one true God in a country where that was illegal. And the king was like, hey, stop worshiping your God. And they were like, we don't want to. And the king was like, I'm going to throw you in a giant furnace if you keep on praying. And they were like, do it. And they threw him in the furnace. And they were like, fine. And they walked out and they were like, our God's more powerful than your flames. And then they won, I guess. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like I don't know what happened after that. <laughs> anyway, on to the third question. In 1371, a man named uh, Richard McCare said, imagine I said that with a French accent, please. Um, he murdered his friend and buried his body in the woods. Oh, Richard, I don't know. Upon discovery of, his, of the corpse, uh, King Charles V ordered a trial by combat. Who was Richard's opponent? Dead body, dead body, dead body. King Charles V. Oh. Uh, Julie d'Aubigny. Uh, Julie d'Aubigny. Who was that? D'Aubigny? We will get to that next. Okay. Look, I took French in high school. I still have no idea how to pronounce <laughs> her name. Richard's opponent. Yeah. King Charles yeah. V. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Julie Darling. Uh-huh. <laughs> His friend's dog. Ooh. Or every single clergyman of the Notre Dame Cathedral. <laughs> <laughs> I think. What year is this? 1371. Uh, I think Notre Dame was built in like the eight. 8- hundreds or 1100s so it's not like a trick question like it wasn't existing yet but i think that he couldn't have i think that would have been a breach of power and the pope would have been like hey no you can't do have, well, hang on you can't do that that's not you can't do that mm-hmm. i love it when the pope says that to me but like in uh, italian you can't do that man uh so i think it was not notre dame i tr- and i think julie domi was a a red herring, just for me, because I like to talk about her all the time. But very clever guess. Uh, it's probably the dog, because dogs are hard to fight. Nick, what's your guess? So it was the, the dog inherited his estate. So <laughs> it was so King it was Charles V, 
Julie Darling, his friend's dog, or every single clergyman of the Notre Dame Cathedral? The dog feels like the obvious answer. So I can't I can't just go down that easy path. Um, as hilarious as all the clergymen would be. <laughs> just thinking about that visually, oh man. Kind of my dream to get beaten to death by a bunch of priests from the twelfth century. Like, I know that's all of our dream, but like dreams don't come true that hard, so I'm not gonna go with that one. I, I'm gonna guess with the king, because Michael guessed the dog. So uh, his friend's dog was the one Ooh. who discovered the body buried in the forest and then proceeded to attack Richard on sight from then on out. King Charles, like, heard about this and then ordered a trial by combat between Richard and the dog. Oh! Wow, it was the obvious answer. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's a real ding on how I did these questions. <laughs> um... <laughs> But anyway, to even the odds between man and beast, the king had Richard buried up to his waist. Uh, and the dog just kind of, like, ran up and then just, like, started violently shaking this guy by the throat, right? Ugh. And then Richard said, stop. And he lost the trial by combat and he got hung that evening. Now, I kind of want to go back uh, to... <laughs> <laughs> to uh, uh, to Julie. Yeah. I don't actually have any Julie questions. Mm -hmm. I really just put her in this because I wanted to talk about it. I couldn't sure. make, see, like, you, we both know <coughs> roughly the same amount of information uh, yeah. about. P uh, PSA, look up the Tom Scott citation needed video on Julie Dobny. It Just, like, type D in a bunch of letters, you'll get it. It's the only one of his videos like that. It's, like, amazing, and that's how Miles and I know anything about her. But it's... <laughs> But essentially, uh, she was the son of a guy who knew how to s fight with swords really well. And then so he taught her, and then she would, like, go to pubs in France and would just, like, duel people, and she'd win. And, like, for eventually she renounced men and then disguised herself as one, uh, became involved with this woman. Seduced isn't the right word. Um who then got sent to a convent, and then Julie broke into the convent, uh, <laughs> faked this woman's death to run off with her, burning the convent down, like, fighting their way out, and then uh, dumped this lady, like, three months later. <laughs> That's so amazing. She was like, damn, I've been trying to get you pregnant for so long, and you still won't do it. I think it's your fault. I, it can't be me. I don't think you can say <laughs> She that. was like, what? Why not? It happens all the time in history. <laughs> we can't judge them by today's standards. These are historical people. <laughs> I don't see the problem. I think that it's totally reasonable to, to assume, not endorse, but assume that Julie Daubigny said to her also <laughs> female lover, I uh, demand some kind of heir to my uh, impeccable obviously impeccable genetic stock bloodline and you refuse to give me one so henry the eighth turned and said i'm not gonna kill you but i am gonna burn down your <laughs> old convent um after that she ran away uh or she ran back to paris became an opera singer for a couple of years and then i think she got 
tossed out of Paris because she killed somebody in a duel, mm. right? Maybe it was because she was trying to be a man and sleeping with women or something. I don't remember. Actually, she got. Well, she was going. She was going by like a. She was, Madame La Maupin. As an opera singer, so I don't think um. she was. I don't think she was disguised as a man at, the okay. p- at this point. But anyway, she killed somebody in a duel, ran away, and then came back. Later, I don't see. A lot of it is a little bit apocryphal. She's kind of like a legendary historical figure that nobody talks about because she was gay. And a woman. But there's still a lot of fun stories. Anyway, I've got two more questions. What, in part, spurred the evolution of trial by combat slash contests of strength into the gentleman duel that we know of today? Is it the inventor, the invention of better swords uh, combined with the obsolescence of armor spurred by firearm development? Is it the loss of the aristocracy as a militant class? Is it the black... (laughs) Did the black plague inspire boredom in the wealthy that fled to the countryside to escape it? Or was it a rejection of Catholic morals in favor of a more Protestant ethos? Well, I think it's not the last one because I read in uh, Fathers and Sons by... Ivan Turgenev, uh, which takes place in Russia in the 19th century uh, and features heavily a duel. And and they were um, Orthodox Christians, so I think it's not a rejection of Catholicism for Protestantism because Protestantism was just irrelevant mostly in Russia, I think. So that's that's probably not it. And now I've forgotten all the other options. Uh, The... Uh, obsolescence of armor by firearm advancement. Oh, yeah, that one's cool. I'm going to pick that answer. You're going to pick that answer? Nick? What's the question one more time? What, in part, spurred the evolution of trial by combat into the gentleman duel? Is it the obsolescence of armor combined with uh, better better metallurgy to make, like, smaller swords? I think that one's it. That's my answer. Uh, Is it the loss of the aristocracy as a militant class? Is it Black Plague-inspired boredom in the aristocracy that fled to the countryside? Or is it a rejection of Catholic morals in favor of a more Protestant ethos? I'm going to uh, go with the rich men who escaped. So the Black Plague? Yes. So it is, in fact, the loss of the aristocracy as a militant class. Oh! So it's always my second guess. <laughs> With the advent of firearms, uh, basically super expensive suits of armor and advanced martial training of an aristocratic warrior class, so like English and French knights, no longer had the same purpose that they did on a battlefield, right? They didn't, they weren't as necessary as your common footmen of the line, right? And... Also, combined with the, like, burgeoning kind of merchant class uh, in this kind of renaissance era, uh, post-Black Plague, that's actually a significant reason why there was information, this is a side note, but the Black Plague killed so many people that it made labor so valuable that it essentially created the middle class. A new bourgeois then had the ability to, like, serve as cavalrymen alongside those aristocratic enough to own horses, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so then you had all of a sudden this group of martially trained men who had no purpose with the sword on the battlefield, who didn't have armor anymore, and had this uh, chivalric code of honor in their back pocket where they needed to defend themselves from slights to their honor. And all of a sudden it became very, very fashionable to uh, stab somebody in the street because they said something you didn't like. Enquiable. <laughs> <laughs> no boy, no. There's actually a theory. Uh, one, one of the many, many theories as to why uh, dueling declined in the aristocracy was that uh, pistols allowed it to be accessible to those who didn't have the funds to be trained in the sword. And then you had all of these, like, American nobodies running around having a du duels of honor with pistols, and all of a sudden, this <laughs> it wasn't cool anymore. Although that's not, like, the only thing. There was also, like... No, I want to choose to believe that dueling <laughs> declined because it wasn't cool anymore. <laughs> Well, that's how anything declines. You know, like, people... <laughs> the younger the younger generation in Japan is declining because it's not cool anymore. <laughs> how do you explain chairs, then? Chairs? Yeah. Are you talking about reclining? I'm, I'm talking about... The Are you talking chair about reclining chairs? <laughs> chairs are not cool, but um, I'm going to anyway. keep them around. There was also uh, a lot of Enlightenment-era ideals kind of focused on rationality mm. and logic over emotion, as well as redirecting, uh, like, testosterone-fueled anger to uh, purposes that better served the community. So the, the, the Enlightenment-era ideal is that you should take your, like, martial anger and go invade foreign countries for your nation. My last question, and I think... The second most fun one after the United States one. Uh, in the 1860s, Otto von Bismarck challenged German pathologist Rudolf Virchow to a duel. As Virchow was entitled to pick the weapons, as he was the one challenged, he chose... <laughs> what did he choose? Do you want me to give you the, the multiple choice or do you want to just guess? <laughs> I think Nick should guess <laughs> without the choices. You want me to guess what he dueled with? Yeah. Oh, man. So, German guy. What's the conflict about? Do you want, Does it matter? We don't... I, I couldn't actually figure out what it was about. I feel like that would affect the answer. <laughs> if it was like, you've been stepping on my banana farm, I think it'd be ban banana I can assure guns. you, Autobahn Bismarck <laughs> did not have a banana farm. <laughs> okay. Well, you make so a really good point. Banana guns are out of the question. Yes. Remember our first <laughs> duel question that was about, like, well, what did he fight with? And the guy was like, well, there was a dog there. I think he should fight with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's the weapon of choice. <laughs> I think the weapon of choice... And and the what I'm about to say is gonna haunt me for the rest of my life. <laughs> I think it was a kid. I think they just like grabbed a kid by the wrists <laughs> and just like just kind of flung him around like a big old whip. All right, I'm gonna give Michael the choices now. <laughs> so choice number no, 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 one. I want to guess before. I want to get one. Okay, I'm gonna guess once before you give me the choices, and if I'm right. 
or wrong. You know just what? Both of you, that. both of you can reevaluate. Yeah, it. cool. Okay, actually, cool. so so you guess. So was that was that at least one of the choices? We'll get there. Nick. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, um, sometimes I think it's safest to go with like your gut, your gut response. Like, which one sounds most obvious? And I definitely have to say, kid. Also, I need to reevaluate before I do. That. I also choose this guy's dead wife. <laughs> Reddit moment. Um, so he chose option one: two ancient, blunt, rusty, legendary Gallic broadswords. One rope to be held between the two of them. <laughs> two pork sausages. Or Bismarck's youngest son, <laughs> given that Bismarck would get Rudolf Virchow's youngest as well. <laughs> Please reevaluate your choice at your own leisure. <laughs> How did you keep it together? <laughs> <laughs> when Nick said kid, how did you not go? How did you not lose it? Oh, God. Pure unbridled rage. <laughs> <laughs> I have to double down. I have to go with kid. Yeah, me too. I don't think it's right, but I feel like I have to click on it. So, renowned... German pathologist, Rudolf Verkau. He is known as the father of pathology, right? Word. He also did physics. Anyway, so no, he chose... Word. Nobody. Word. That's funny. <laughs> Word. Wait, I have to look up what pathology means? <laughs> <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> I, I keep thinking about speech pathology. Miles, will you say speech pathology? It's not pathology. Will you it's say speech pathology? Speech pathology. Oh, word? <laughs> Hey, Michael, that was a really funny joke that you came up with right on the spot there. Hey, thanks, Nick. I also choose your kid. Well, he was a, he was a disease pathologist. He wasn't a speech pathologist. Yeah. But he chose two pork sausages. No! Uh, two, pork so- two pork sausages with the caveat that one would be infected with the trichinella roundworm. <laughs> so it's like one of them are poisoned and they both had to eat one? Pretty much. Well, trichinosis is a parasite, or trichinosis is the disease that you contract when you eat. Oh, by the way, this was secretly a food science episode, and you didn't <laughs> know. Uh, because trich- uh, trichinosis is the reason why we have to cook pork all the way through. Uh, because you getting infected with the trichinella roundworm is actually really nasty. You get trichinosis when you eat Uh Meat containing a trichinella cysts. Uh, most often, this is pork, but you can also get it from eating bear and dog. I've had bear. Uh, I've had have you really? I did. I got to have bear when I was in Washington State. <coughs> it was like hunted by the people who gave it to me. They said, there's some stew on the stove. And I was like, cool, thanks. And I ate some of it. And they were like, hey, that's bear. And I was like, I knew it was going to be something awful. <laughs> <laughs> but it's tasty. Was it tasty? Oh, it was good. amazing, yeah. actually. Really, really good. Anyway. And the trichinella was, like, so minor. (laughs) (laughs) After being eaten, um, because what you're eating, the trichinella cysts, are basically trichinella larvae that have Mm. encysted itself in the meat. (coughs) The larvae are released from their cysts 
into your stomach, in which case they then invade the walls of your small intestine, where they develop into adult worms. After one week, the female worms release new larvae that migrate to voluntarily controlled muscles where they insist themselves in your body. And then you have trichinosis, <laughs> and your arms hurt. Is that the only consequence? Like, this is gross and terrifying but like what actually happens from trichinosis what is it so i can i can once you have it pull up that sweet sweet wikipedia page let's get let's get like the experience really good one of us needs to contract trichinosis uh so (laughs) your body gets like incredibly inflamed because you have worms crawling through your muscles and then insisting themselves within your muscles um, but you can you also get uh, your muscles really hurt, believe it or not. You get muscle pain. You can develop a fever and a muscle weakness. Uh, swelling around the eyes is a classic sign of trichinosis, according to the Wikipedia classic, page. Classic, classic. It's a classic sign. They may it's very rarely uh, cause enough damage <laughs> to produce serious neurological defects, such as ataxia or respiratory paralysis. I can guess what respiratory paralysis means, but... <laughs> fucking knows what a taxia is. Well, click on it. Let's find out. Let's get a cougar fact. I hate taxia. A taxia is a neurological sign of consisting of lack of voluntary coordination of muscle movements that can include gait abnormalities, speech changes, and abnormalities in eye movements. I only knew it from the uh, Pandemic 2 flash game symptoms you can buy. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. wait. So, so what was the guy's name who wasn't Bismarck? Van Schuck? Von Gerbeck? Rudolf Verkow. I was close. Rudolf. (laughs) (laughs) Rudolf Verkow said, Uh, hey, Bismarck, uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight you, but I'm gonna give one of us a sausage that's gonna make us walk funny, and that's the consequence. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, walk funny and die, probably. (laughs) Um, because that is when the, uh, worms have entered the central nervous system. That part, I think that sounds bad. And it can just straight up give you a stroke. And hey, it can don't, be uh, fatal. I have some good advice. This is a fact. Um, don't get a stroke. Thanks, Nick. You're welcome. I'm Nick so is happy. a really, like, he, honestly, he's really killing it as a guest appearance on this Fact Cougars. Nick can slay me any day Nick, thanks in for the being bathroom. Here. Thanks for insisting yourself <laughs> within our muscles. You guys invited me. <coughs> you guys were like, I want to be insisted in. Anyway, that story is like probably apocryphal. But I thought <laughs> the, I- the idea of dueling somebody with a pork sausage to me was really that charming. Is top quality. Can I ask you how you thought of <laughs> the third, the last answer of the other's kid. Oh, and Bismarck's youngest son, given that Bismarck would get Verkow's son. Yeah, you you wrote that down before Nick said Oh, absolutely. Kid, right? Oh, yeah, I have not <laughs> changed this document. Because that's like two per... I'm scared by it. Like, so... No, I was... Because I was, tra- I was thinking like, okay, one rope to be held between the two of them. Oh, this could be like a cute story. Like, tug the origin of, of Tug of War Ooh. was between Bismarck and this guy who talked <laughs> about germs. <laughs> Um, and like two broadswords, that wouldn't have been that. W- you 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 can understand that wouldn't have been cool enough for me to include in this. Um, and then I had two pork sausages, and I was like, "What could beat two pork sausages?" <laughs> well, children. <laughs> 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 
dude, my child could beat up a pork sausage. <laughs> Prove it, coward. That concludes my quiz. I wasn't keeping score, but I assume Nick won. That's no. what you assumed. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. Give him a big round Michael, of applause. Most importantly, yeah. hit me with your quiz. All right, all right. Sorry, all I, just right. Ha- I just had the thought of spray quiz, like spray cheese, but it's spray quiz. Anyway, can please Ooh, continue. Spray cheese. <laughs> yeah. You ever think about how milk? All right. Hey, <laughs> there's a so there's a continent and it's super continent and it's actually two continents and it's North and South America. And if you don't speak English, there's a better chance that you'll call it just the whole thing is America, particularly if you speak Spanish. Uh, it's just America. And we're talking about here some of the theories and cougar facts about who made it to the new world before Columbus did, but after the Bering Land Bridge. So, post-Beringia, pre-Columbia, who was here, or who was who was visiting here, but didn't just live here? Bugs. First things first. Oh, yeah. The Vikings. Interesting you say that. We will get there right, right quick, but first... We have a broad, broad disclaimer that says there were Native Americans. They were here. <laughs> we just just want to make that absolutely clear. That's a fact. A cougar fact. And this this is their continent. And Shout they out got it <laughs> theoretically to that sweet, sweet Alaskan land bridge. Right? What? That's the that's how they that's how the Native Americans first arrived. The Bering yeah, Strait. Bering yeah. Strait. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Bering, that sweet, sweet the Bering land Alaskan bridge. land bridge. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I wouldn't give it to the Russians because question. The Norse of the eleventh century of the Common Era established a settlement in what they called Vinland. Where was that? I have four options. Do you want to log a guess before I read them? I'm gonna guess Greenland. I'm gonna guess uh Uh, Gander, Newfoundland. Gander? Yeah. Is that the Gander. name of the town? Yeah. Yeah, that's from uh, the hit Broadway musical. Yeah. <laughs> come sail away. Come from no. away. Oh, yeah. not come sail away. I actually don't know where that is, so I have to look it up because, le- low key, Newfoundland. You, you might be right. <laughs> uh. Imagine, oh, okay. Imagine okay. You're not right. You're not right. But you're. Am I close? You're actually really pleasantly close. Imagine so, being the guy to call it Newfoundland. Imagine, imagine. being like, <laughs> yeah, I All found right. it. It's it's, it's new. I it's, just found it. It's Newfoundland. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let me read you guys the options and let you revise your answers. A. Martha's Vineyard, in Massachusetts. Two. Greenland. Trois, Newfoundland. Mm, that's what I guess. F, Manhattan. I'm gonna g- I'm gonna stick with Greenland. See, we've been over that it's not Newfoundland. Uh, is it is it Massachusetts? I think I'm gonna go with Massachusetts. It is Newfoundland. Oh wait, so I was right the first time. You said I wasn't right. I didn't say you weren't right. Ah. I I <laughs> said I. What I mean 
by you not being totally dead right by guessing a gander mm. is you're not in the right part of Newfoundland and like it's specifically uh, the fact that you guessed part of Newfoundland but not like the right part of Newfoundland is relevant to my discussion because this is extremely cool. We have an idea of where the landing site, the the semi-permanent settlement was. And that is a site called Lens aux Meadows. Again, more French for us to pronounce. We should have taken a, a leaf out of Tom Scott's book and not made all of our first episodes <laughs> have French <laughs> words in them because we can't pronounce them. Is is a specific site on the very north tip of Newfoundland. Now, Gander is much more southeasterly uh, on Newfoundland, uh, which is relevant and I won't give c uh, credit for because there is real historical debate over specifically where on Newfoundland they landed and and held this permanent settlement that was described semi-permanent settlement that was described. Now, one particular historical account describes where exactly the sun was in the sky at particular times of day. Now, these were times of day that uh, uh, were basically colloquial, like breakfast time and dinner time. But those were specific times of day back in this uh, 11th century Norse culture. And they're, specif they're specific times of day in my household. Exactly. So we can tell exactly what latitude line this would have been at, assuming this is correct. And somebody said it's at the very southern tip of Newfoundland, but they were wrong about their calculations of what time of day that would be exactly, and uh, on what day of the year. And it is specifically confirmed, that calculation confirms the site of Vinland to be the site of Lons aux Meadows at the very, very northern tip of Newfoundland, which is on Quayabla. And this is the, nobody, basically nobody doubts it. This is pretty non-controversial site that, yeah, people like Europeans before Columbus explored and settled in North America. And, and we have some real uh, archeological and uh, evidence of that. And then they went back. I was going to say that I feel like getting around a table with my historian friends and arguing about the specific point in which the Vikings landed in America sounds like the purest expression of friendship to me. <laughs> it is pretty sexy. I mean, it's like, it's so pure. So the point of this discussion is, um, I is to determine some one exactly where in Newfoundland they landed which is re reasonably important because we can figure that out and more specific information is better but also it can help determine the accuracy of what they called the sagas and these are stories that were I believe not originally written down but passed orally and then recorded in writing detailing uh, ventures of great Norse explorers so that there's Icelandic sagas and Greenlandic sagas and these are stories of people who went off and sailed west and found some things and returned home and some of them include stories of meeting uh, people of 
different skin colors, and some of them don't, and some of them involve giant pillars in the sea, and some of them involve totally white people, like, like, uncannily white. Like, not like Caucasian, not like white people, but like entirely white people, which is freaky to think about, right? So yeah. some of it's like... <laughs> giant pillars in the sea? Yeah, so some of it's like... Uh, that could be like water spouts, though, right? Or it could be icebergs in the, the North Atlantic, which is kind of reasonable. But, but like some of it is mythological, is and there some a, of it is, there is historical. A and they found that this, uh, in listed in the saga, this specific location makes the most sense to have, uh, according to the recordings of time of day, when the sun was at these points in the sky at the time of year they were there. So they were able to zero in on exactly where they were, which is extremely cool. That is super cool. Why don't we have any good names for anything anymore? Why can't we? <laughs> <laughs> like, thinking about it, like, they get... We're like, yes. <laughs> the Nordic sagas. <laughs> <laughs> and what do we have? 3D printer. Fish. <laughs> Avengers Endgame. That's dumb. <laughs> we have franchises. That's what we call our stories now. Franchise. All these millennials with their franchises and avocado toasts. Honestly? Honestly? If I'm being honest, please disenfranchise me. Avocado <laughs> toast is why I can't afford a house. I just buy so many avocados <laughs> and so much house. I mean, Dude, toast. make <laughs> toast house. I probably could afford a house if I didn't buy all this avocado toast. Nick, what you really need to do is pull yourself up by your toast straps. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out of toast. All I have is corn. (laughs) (laughs) Your toast straps on your toast lingerie. (laughs) That's cormographic. (laughs) (laughs) It's cormaclock. Question two. In 1976... A British adventurer and author attempted, same person, attempted to <laughs> boat a solo mission across the North Atlantic to recreate the Irish legend of St. Brendan. Did he A, succeed, or B, drift massively off course because he was an ancient, in an ancient leather curric, which is the name of the old ancient Irish boat, and he died in the frigid North Sea? Definitely B. Super specific no or super vague yes. Super specific no. That's the way to live life, but A is correct. Succe- <laughs> he succeeded. He made it across he made it across the water, which uh is presented as some kind of not proof or evidence, but a legitimization of the possibility of the account of Saint Brendan, who was a, an Irish monk from County Kerry who has a story, a legend around him uh, detailing a trip in a Curragh, I'm now pronouncing that right, traveled across the North Atlantic, found uh, a place with people who were freaky and you know how angels are described in the Bible? How they're oh, like, like terrifying monstrosities. Yeah, yes. it's it's like probably not as extreme as that, but um, there are ideas that like oh those were the uh, American Indians who were already there. 
And Don't ask me why I stood up, Nick. My ass is people. numb. Um, I was going to say, first thing, I take back what I said about them naming things cooler because I can't imagine being St. Brendan would be cool at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, one of the Wikipedia links I found in relation to St. Brendan is see also article name Great Ireland, which is like kind of a dope term. On the topic of uh, historical people, <laughs> historical god, <laughs> historical god with strange names, I was thinking today about the biblical character Melchizedek. Um, now, if you don't know, Melchizedek was this guy who uh, tithing is an important thing in uh, a lot of religious communities where people are like, I'm going to give 15% of all of my stuff away and that's how I'm going to give to God. I'm going to be charitable. The tradition started with Abraham having all the Jews all just doing their thing. And then this like super powerful warlord named Melchizedek comes out of nowhere. And he's like, God told me that you have to give away 15% of everything you have for charity. And I represent God. So give me all your money. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the same thing that the Catholic Church did. So that reads... (laughs) And I just like I was always taught like Melchizedek like oh he was like he was he was sent from God to like teach the Jews like about tithing, and it wasn't until literally today I was eating cereal and I was like wait no Melchizedek (laughs) just like robbed (laughs) (laughs) he just like robbed the Israelites. Funny you should mention Israel (laughs) because. One of our next questions Wait, is... Wait, before we, before we go on, yeah. I need to implore the audience please. to, if you don't know how angels were described <laughs> in the Old Testament, please, please look it up. Like, one of, one of like, uh, the higher level angels is described as, like, a series of wheels covered in <laughs> eyes. Like, there's a reason they, they announce themselves and say, please don't be afraid. <laughs> <laughs> don't be scared. We're not from God. It's story time. It's story time. (laughs) (laughs) So we are the beasts that are made of wheels. (laughs) (laughs) If you haven't seen uh, the YouTube channel Treats for Beasts, you if you don't value having a happy life, you gotta watch it. (laughs) Anyway, please, please, Michael. So this this bloke in 1976. Bloke. British. I had to call him bloke. That's I had true. to. You know, I had to. He, uh, he decided he was gonna recreate an ancient Irish leather boat called a curragh. I'm getting closer and <laughs> sail or row across the North Atlantic Huge at like pecs, a relatively guy. unfavorable time of year, from what I can tell, and see if it was it could have been possible to sail across or, sorry, sail, not sail, row. He, I don't think it had a sail. Um, voyage across the North Atlantic on his own in an ancient leather boat, and he made it to North America. Now, that guy had some huge testicles. Miles. Yes. Describe to the audience how huge were his testicles. 
Well, you know how uh, baseball star, I'm sorry, I'm not Miles, but I have a really relevant answer, so I'm basically <laughs> going to pretend I'm him. Your beard is bigger than his. You can always interrupt. Yeah! So you know how baseball star third baseman Adrian Beltre always refused to play with a cup on, even as a professional, and they were like, you got to wear a cup, and he said, I'm not wearing a cup. And they were like, you have to, and he said, fine, I'll wear a cup, and then he didn't wear a cup. Well, one time in like his second season, he got beamed in the crotch and he said one of his nuts swole up to the size of a grapefruit oh my god <laughs> yeah. that, so makes, that makes me feel nauseous just thinking <laughs> about that that kind of pain so he started wearing a cup after that i think i thought you were gonna Why say that he wasn't wearing a cup wear because a he cup. had a huge testicles that wouldn't fit well he couldn't keep like a real it. lyndon b johnson kind of guy <laughs> that was our president dude and vice president <laughs> do you not, do you not know the Lyndon B. Johnson testicle stories? No, I'm fully aware. Of, that's <laughs> the only reason anyone knows Lyndon B. Johnson. <laughs> it's he used his, to pee it's literally on his name. He used to whip out his penis and he would pee on his political opponents. I may or may not have made that up and look it up because so, I don't remember. So what's even cooler about this um, about this theory of Irish contact with the with the new world is somewhere in west virginia they found these these stones with an ancient irish script printed on them no way so this is this is a script or language name i'm not sure which this refers to specifically called oham o-g-h-a-m i hope i'm getting that right uh and the way this is written is it's a rock with a corner, right? It's a tall rock, and the corner is very long, and it has it joins at a right angle. And so what you do is you carve lines perpendicular to that angle. They either alternate left and right, or, or they are adjacent, and you can have like two or three on the same side. And that's how you determine characters, and you could write names and inscriptions on these. And it's like one of the only scripts we've ever found that isn't printed like two-dimensionally or or even just carved in so like like relief it's it literally required uh a three-dimensional surface so theoretically did saint brandon travel like by himself uh i'm actually not sure so like he like rode himself across the atlantic got to west virginia (laughs) spent i don't know a couple months carving on a rock and and sailed and rode home, I guess. And then wrote about it. What a Chad. Yeah. Right? That's like Is that incredible? That's ins- I mean Anyway, there's like no evidence to actually suggest that that uh, like there's basically no proof that that is old and pre-Columbian Ohum writing or and there's no other corroborating evidence to suggest that there is was Irish contact with the new world pre Columbus, but like, so probably like some Irish immigrant, pro- had moved probably, to West Virginia or, or like it's probably there. a later forgery or just like a cool thing that exists. Honestly, no that is some commitment to forgery, though. Oh yeah, to like Speaking learn of which, ancient Irish three dimensional script. We are gonna get there. Oh, let's move on to some of the riskier claims you can hinge your career on. The first one, question three. In developing from the original Polynesian language to what is now Hawaiian, t- 
To what consonant did k shift, like k? Is it a n, as in n, or b t, like t? Or did it stay the same? I'm going to say it shifted to n. Because that makes more sense, because I feel like it wouldn't shift to another hard consonant. I feel like most, from my understanding of how some languages tend to evolve, is that they tend to get softer and slangier the more that they're spoken. Like, my understanding is that, like, Latin slang became the Romance languages. Like, things tend to soften and goofify and kind of smooth out. And that's how you get Australian smarter vernacular. K became T. Oh, so so I'm, you know what? I'm going to say I'm not a linguist, (laughs) and that's my final answer. And that's okay. That's why we're sharing some cool cougar facts. Thank you for biting me with those cougar facts, Michael. Oh, boy. So it's true that many Hawaiian words that have the K sound, particularly ones that began with the k originally in older pale like proto polynesian or proto hawaiian began with the t sound so keep that in mind as we jump across the pacific ocean to southern california around the santa barbara channel there is a tribe of native americans called the chumash and they have a very particular and peculiar kind of boat. This is uh, known as a tomo or tomolo'o. The Hawaiian word for uh, tree, particularly a useful or particularly amenable type of tree to building boats is kumula'au. I'm trying my best. Kumula'au. What's interesting about, what's significant about that is if you follow the, the consonant shift from k and t, we can guess that a, you, you can hear the similarity between kumula'o and tumula'o. Oh, absolutely. So the original, the, the idea is that there was Polynesian contact in Southern California, which explains both this etymology say the original Hawaiian word which would have developed later originally began as kumulo'o which is extremely similar to kumulo'o and it explains where this very peculiar type of boat came from the tomol as it's more casually known from what I can tell uh, is considerably more similar to a particular type of Polynesian boat compared to most of the other canoes and and other vessels all over the Americas. There, Nowhere else on the continent was there developed a boat that was this labor-intensive to build and made in this particular fashion. What's great about this boat is it's huge and could hold like 25 people at once. You wouldn't want to go on your own like <laughs> Those Irishmen. <laughs> uh, that's like that seems it, pretty open and shut, though. Like that seems like a a pretty confirmed cougar fact. From the way you're presenting it, 
Ah, now, I'm careful. It's interesting you say yeah. that. It's very interesting you've said it. I'm just a very interesting, cool fact. I'm very confident in that. This is just, uh, I'm going to shit your pants, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Here's where it gets hairy. The American Antiquity Journal uh, published a controversial paper. This paper detailed evidence supporting Polynesian with contact with the Chumash. This was published in 2012 because of some recent findings from recalibrated carbon dating of certain shells, which put the development of the tomolo'o, or tomol, right in the specific time frame that the theory of Polynesian contact with Southern California suggests. It would have happened. Also in the journal American Antiquity, but published in 2007 by... uh, a much m- less controversial uh, paper and author, Jean Arnold, she, she writes the statement, given the lengthy local developmental trajectory of the Tomol over several generations and even centuries, we can point directly to the central roles of Chumash leaders and innovators for providing the social and economic capital for this significant watercraft. At present, there is no evidence to substantiate the idea that the Tomol has much greater time depth in the region, or that the invention was borrowed from visitors. Hey, sorry. It's totally plausible for two different groups of people to find the same efficient way to travel with a lot of people by sea while showing off the amount of money in social and political capital we held. I think that that is the better explanation. I think I agree with you and Gene Arnold. Spontaneous generation of inno- <laughs> invention. <laughs> The theory of contact from Polynesians to Southern California, particularly the Chumash, and that as the explanation for their particular boat and name for the boat hinges on the dis- like otherwise inexplicable similarities of the words, which has not been confirmed by linguistic experts and Polynesian language experts. So you're saying maybe I am a linguist, and I was right. <laughs> uh, the, the guys who wrote the paper saying, hey, this carbon dating says that there's this, this boat got developed in this time, which means that the Polynesians got there when we said they did, and that this word is also could not have developed any other way. The, the name is the same word, and that's why it's the same similar name for the same kind of boat. And... They are not linguists and didn't get a linguist <laughs> to say, yeah, that's right. Uh, so They were just like, oh, these two words are kind of the same. It's otherwise inexplicable. It's like men and women. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, on a side note, is a, is a fantastic little etymological sidebar of, uh, in like Old English, uh, man was a term for all men. And then you had women which were the men and with men which were the women and so there was like the so you can still find like the i guess the etymological fossils of wehrman in words like werewolf yes and you can and the fossils of with men are in words like wife and man did not like woman didn't come from man it's that's not the etymology of it yeah which is Similar to how these words d- 
did not evolve the way that these people said they were. Brought it back around. We cannot say definitively that that's not the case, but we can say that there is basically not enough. There is not evidence to say confidently that that is, and there's no reason otherwise to believe that that is the etymology, unless you say, well, the Polynesians got all the way across the ocean and landed here specifically, taught them how to make a boat, and taught them one word, and left and left no other imprint on the continent that lasted. <laughs> and This is the well, word for big tree. See you later. Yeah, it's it's like, it's it's kind of there. It's not too much of a stretch. It feels nice to think about, well, yeah, but it's we like just... That's just not how evidence and science... You make boats from trees, <laughs> so it makes sense to call the boat tree. You know, well, thinking Michael, about it does kind of fall apart a little bit. <laughs> I would I would like to encourage you, because you said, I can't say that, and then you said a bunch of words. And the thing <laughs> is, you literally can say all those things. Even if they're so wrong, there's literally no repercussion of just, like, lying. You know, Nick, I think you and I should go on a carbon date. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move I'm on sorry, to our next question. We've been on this one for a long time. <laughs> Last question. Did people of Israel travel to the New World around 100 BCE? Isn't that what the Mormons believe? Yes, absolutely. The Bat Creek Stone proves it. B, no, of course not. Uh... Can I go with C, which is a yes, but not in the Mormon way? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to go with B. You think, no, of course not? Of course not. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think it happened, but of course, I think that's pretty strong. <laughs> so maybe like maybe like a lowercase B, like a probably not, but like I'm not God, I don't know everything. <laughs> It is, in fact, B. Because <laughs> Which of B? Course it is it uppercase <laughs> B or lowercase B? I wrote it as a lowercase B. Yeah! So it's a flat. <laughs> but it means no, of course not. Uh, it's so it's both B, no, of course not. the lowercase and it's B. Okay, I'm, I'm okay with that. That's that's a good compromise. Yeah, so there's such thing as the Bat Creek Stone, which is pretty dumb sounding name if you ask me. Well, they probably found it in Bat Creek, so it's not their fault. That it's called Still that. A better one. Yeah, like they could have called it like the stone. You know what? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna get back on on the mojo of people in the modern era can't name things properly because they could have called it like the I don't know the saga stones <laughs> <laughs> or like the 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 Mormon. The Mormon jewel. I don't know. Could you imagine a translation of Bat Creek into another language that might <laughs> indicate that it's a creek of bats? <laughs> <laughs> River of bats. <laughs> Stone inscription. Like, I think that's where so many of these awesome terms come from. It's there's just that English sounds boring to us because we speak it all a bloody time. There's definitely, I mean, like, saga is a word in English. Yeah, but, like, not real English. That's not what they would have called it in, like... Old Norse. Yeah, it probably would have been cooler in Old Norse. To us non-Old Norse speakers. I'm almost certain that there <laughs> that there's some <laughs> biblical angel that is a river of bats. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a biblical angel whose whole job is just make words sound cool. They call him Brad. <sighs> Miles, I have a question for you. Hit me with it. Did you know that there is such a profession as Semitist? 
So a, a Semitist is someone who specializes in Hot the sauce. Semitic languages, uh, including, but not limited to, Paleo-Hebrew. Now, why is that relevant? That but sounds like it's got a lot more protein than our traditional Hebrew. So Paleo-Hebrew <laughs> is apparently uh, is a language apparently just like so similar to the Cherokee script uh, of the Cherokee native indigenous Americans, which seems like a really harebrained connection to make. So experts in entomologists, so insect scientists, Cyrus Thomas in 1889 was doing a an excavation of an American Indian burial ground at to Nat find Creek. bugs. I don't know what he was looking for. Probably bugs because he was he pretending to be an etymologist because Americans he was looking don't know for the origins better. of words <laughs> deep in the mud. <laughs> Where else will he find them? You might he find he might find Jesus's face in the mud, <laughs> like toast or like toast straps. peanut butter. So his boot, boot toast. <laughs> <laughs> Cyrus Thomas, entomologist, was digging up a Cherokee burial mound in 1889, and he found a stone. And he said, eh, probably Cherokee. Sounds probably Cherokee. <laughs> in, These in 1970, ooh. a different character in this story, whose first name is also Cyrus, but Cyrus Gordon, who is a Semitist, suggested that the letters could be Paleo-Hebrew from approximately 200 BCE through the year 1. Of the eight total letters, I mean, (laughs) finding out that there's (laughs) only eight of them is, like, totally a letdown. It feels like the Rosetta Stone, where it's going to have tons of them. It's, like, three different languages. It's it's just eight characters. It's eight characters on a rock. (laughs) Stolen by the British. Yeah, well, French, and then the British, I think. Thanks, Napoleon. You're welcome. Michael, he said thank you, Napoleon, not thank you, Michael. You're so welcome. claiming to be Napoleon. You just called me Napoleon. Sounds like boner <laughs> part. Boner <laughs> <laughs> uh, So, So Cyrus Gordon said, hey, this language might not actually be, um, might not. Nick, Nick pull the miles. Reddit. Total Nick Reddit the moment. Miles. Total miles moment. I was just trying to make Miles feel better. What a piece of shit Miles is. Piece of shit for trying to make you feel better. <laughs> no, I was talking about me. I was talking about Nick. Nick's beautiful. Nick Nick's, a, Nick's a gorgeous man. Dude. And that's a fact. That's, that's a, a cougar, cougar fact. fact. Nick is hot. That bites. That's a cougar fact. Cougar fact. <laughs> so uh, he said, hey, five of these letters look kind of like the paleo Hebrew uh, words for for Judea. And the other three were not accounted for. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, "Eh, throw that out there. It's an eight-letter word search. (laughs) And the two were there. There's only two words. And there's three red (laughs) (laughs) hairs. So um our first guy, Cyrus Thomas, in 1889, inaccurately identified the characters as, quote, beyond question, letters of the Cherokee alphabet. Cyrus Gordon came along and was like, what if they're not? They're like, kind of look like something else, like Paleo-Hebrew, this specific thing I study. Low but I'm not totally Hebrew. sure. You eat, you eat Pharaoh <laughs> with your Hebrew. <laughs> oh, I'm on these ancient grains. Ancient unleavened bread. <laughs> So let's 
particularly interesting about this is um, it it is probably neither of those, but probably really that's not what I was expecting. Yeah, it's it's probably neither of them. The in- implication of it being Paleo Hebrew would be like, whoa, did the Hebrews like escape and then just sail across the Mediterranean and across the Atlantic, which is technologically perhaps feasible and this could be like an interesting indication that there was paleo hebrew written uh, like a new paleo hebrew script written in america which would be incredible and totally earth shattering to the world of history so it's neither of them and what most likely happened was it was a forgery written there was a freemason book published before this excavation, and there was most likely a student of Cyrus Thomas who carved this, copied out of the book. There were grammatical mistakes in Paleo-Hebrew, in this Paleo-Hebrew inscription, and, like, just stroke marks that were wrong and couldn't have appeared, they were likely to not have appeared in somebody who actually wrote Paleo-Hebrew, but was just copying it from a source who didn't know any better. I, and the student was like, I guess I'll carve this forgery and throw it in a mound and see what happens. <laughs> and and um, How can you get a grammatical mistake in, like, ten letters? Well, if you don't speak it, it's pretty easy. Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what the language is and you're like, I don't know. It looks cool and it's from the Freemasons. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to throw it in a pit. I'm going to throw it in a mound that's being excavated. And I'll and confuse bu- everyone <laughs> in a hundred years. <laughs> And, um, what? I mean, could it have occurred naturally? <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't download a car. <laughs> you, w- <laughs> you wouldn't download some inaccurate paleo Judy, paleo Hebrew from a Freemason book, would you? You wouldn't. You wouldn't download bats, would you? <laughs> I would never download a river of bats. But bats in moderation? Like a bat puddle? That could be pretty fine. A little bat as a treat? Oh, whoa. I think that this is about time to wrap up our Fact Cougars episode. Winner of this episode, of of this quiz, was... Definitely Nick. Probably Nick, I would assume. I would guess. Nick won both quizzes and thus won the episode. I'd like to thank my good buddy Nick over there on the couch. Yes, Mr. Nick. Well, thank you so much uh, for coming. Thanks for letting us use your basement on such short notice. Contributing such wonderfully to our conversation and quiz. And I'd like to thank also my parents because they're pretty cool. And I'd also like to thank uh, all of our uh, dedicated listeners so far. You all are the best. You're the reason this happens. Shout out to uh, Ultra Hope Girls at Dank and Roper Podcast. Ultra Hope Girls. (laughs) Killing it. Being cool. Wonderful people. A couple of our friends have a good Dank and Roper Podcast, which is maybe not a game that I play, but I appreciate fans of it and they're doing a great job they should all check them out also shout out to all people who have ever tried to ride a shark you guys are the real g's thank you everybody for tuning in to episode two of the fact Cougars podcast we will be back soon with more facts and coogs and corm and corm